Hello, Johnny. How are you today? Have you been naughty or have you been nice? Oh, oh, oh. So it is our refreshing podcast and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Andy and Dorothy who are live from New York. Welcome first off guys and I've got to jump in and say we got chatting after one of the best things I've ever seen ever. It happened to be at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh. You're right to look like that because, honestly, don't be so modest. It was fucking brilliant. Bill's 44th, which was a non-verbal, more or less 99% totally silent puppet show. It had emotion. It had comedy. It had moments where you could hear a pin drop in the audience because of the focus of what you and a very small members of the of the team you operate in, which was no more than about four. Just give us a little bit of background to Bill's 44 for those who don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for for having us. Yeah, and for your very kind words. Mm-hmm. I mean it, honestly, wow. I do, I really do. <laughs> no pressure now to big to big it up. <laughs> uh, Bill's forty fourth is exactly that. It's a nonverbal puppet show for adults that we created over the past five years or so. Yeah. It like started right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic really shaped it in a different way. We're both puppeteers and have been for over a decade working on other people's work and creating like really fun puppet work, mostly for adults, Mm -hmm. like all over New York. And we've toured all over the world. A lot of Norway, surprisingly. (laughs) Norway is very puppet friendly. Um, (laughs) But uh, Bill is our first, uh, the first like collaboration between the two of us as lead artists. Mm -hmm. I mean, and Bill's 44th is uh, a show about Bill on his 44th birthday, and he is throwing himself a birthday party where no one shows up. And this is the where the emotion kicks in because he is celebrating his 44th birthday, but he does kind of look like he's celebrating his 74th because he's quite an old sort of puppet. But there's something really endearing about I mean that in the nicest way. Um, I don't want to insult you uh, three and a half minutes in, but it, the way he dresses, he kind of has, you know, that sort of like old jumper on and a shirt. And if you were to walk past him in the street, you kind of go... Oh, and I feel like I want to hug him. Was that sort of a bit of the inspiration behind it? Almost sort of add to the fact that no one might go to to anything he goes to? Our really only aesthetic goal jumping off was the style of puppet that Bill is, who is, I don't know what we'd call it, I guess live hands? It's like a live hand puppet. It's kind of like for all of you listening, uh, (laughs) wherever you are, it's sort of like Swedish chef. In the sense that, like, there is a hand in the puppet's head, mm-hmm. and then Dorothy and myself are doing his hands mm-hmm. live. He's a bit of a floating torso, yeah. where sometimes our legs are his legs, but more often than not, he's just sort of, like, floating around the stage. And that coordination between literally left and right is, you know, in effect, it's one puppet, like you were saying, with two operators. It's got to be so well-timed if you're making a drink or you're blowing up balloons or you're just moving from his chair to the kitchen in that small set. It has to be bang on because if not, someone's going to go one way and he's going to not move the other way. So have you ever seen the movie Mighty Ducks? But I think like it's the second, maybe they do it in every Mighty Ducks movie. Who knows? But they like tie a rope around all of the, all of the people on ice skates. And then they're like, you got to move together. Right. So Bill's 44th is absolutely two of us pretending to be Mighty Ducks. You know, it's a dance. 
But to circle back about your aesthetic, oh, right. um, the idea was sort of born from this puppet that I saw a long time ago that I was really inspired by the the form, which was sort of like this old man who was controlled with two live hands and one, you know, puppet head floating around. And I was like, I would love to do that someday. Mm -hmm. And the reason why Bill sort of ended up the way he did was that we sort of sculpted this head and he doesn't have eyes or anything like that. He's just like a guy with a mustache, a bald dude with a mustache Mm -hmm. uh, and no eyes. Like we got to a point where we showed like a little 10 minute excerpt of the show. And we realized that people like already understood who he was without like making it more specific. He's got like really jagged facial features because he's like this very simple paper mache style puppet. You know, we talked for a while, like, do we give him real eyes? Do we shave down his his like face to be more smooth? And then we were like, no, it works. And as soon as Mm -hmm. something works, like you want to like lean into why it works. And I think people were so, after that first showing of him, people were so like enamored with him. Like mm. they loved Bill and they wanted to celebrate him that it felt kind of weird right. to then like give him a facelift right. or like give, I don't know. It was just like, he, he, like <laughs> right. Plastic surgery. Yeah. On a, uh... Suddenly he was like a person and it yeah. was just more about like figuring out like who he was. Right. And that came into like, well, obviously he's wearing a sweater. Like, obviously (laughs) he's going to need chips and ranch dip at his party. Like, all these things started to come out about his character. We believe as audience members in like very abstract things. We can anthropomorphize like a rock. We just like can imagine it's got eyes and a mouth and whatever. The closer you get to being human and not human, the more freaked out we are. The second something abstract starts to really communicate that people are like, oh my gosh, this weird looking puppet is a 44 year old lonely man or 74 year old lonely man. The age doesn't super matter. It matters like the emotions that you're able to like extract from him. Once we realized that he already did that, we were like, okay, that's it. Now we just build the scenario around him. Mm There's so many clever things and so many things to, to touch on within that conversation. But particularly, you know, I think it kind of works because of the lonely side of things. And if you touch on that with COVID, the set, I thought, was extremely clever. Even things like, and I wanted to say, the big comfy chair that he was sitting in, quite a, a simple apartment, if that makes sense. It kind of almost had a very friends-ish feel to it, would be the only slight way I could describe it. But there was things where I would look, and obviously you guys probably maybe wouldn't know, but that red chair he was sitting in, which there was times when he was upset in that chair because he was hoping someone was going to come through the door and it never quite happened. There was moments of reflection in that chair, but they were typical hospital bedside chairs in the UK. Now, I don't know if you would know that. We so, did it, but we did get it in the yeah. UK. We did source uh, it from the UK, mm-hmm. which is yeah. very interesting. Secondhand shop. That typically, I am 40 next year, so my grandparents passed away when I was very young and between the ages of kind of 12 and 15. But when you would go to hospital and see them and sit by the side of the bed, there was always someone sitting in that chair. So the emotive side of it straight away, 
I imagine there'll be quite a lot of UK audience members who will, will listen to that and see. And it's strange how these things pop in your timeline as well, because it's like, you know, I wanted to say, did you manage to sell the comfy chair? Because I know you were selling off various elements of the set, but I can see by the reaction, you're like, that almost yeah. just adds a whole new dimension to that. Yeah. <laughs> nice accidental moments of brilliance. That chair would have seen a couple of birthday parties and a hell of a lot of deaths, I would imagine. Yes. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Our third puppeteer and creative collaborator, John Riddleberger, is the one who was on chair duty. Yeah, he found the chair. And found that chair and called us and was like, I found it. This is the one. <laughs> As he lifts an old woman from the chair yeah. in a hospital. Yeah. Get out the way. Right. It's for a birthday party, love. It's got to go. We didn't yeah. ask him where it came from. So. Yeah. <laughs> now you can. <laughs> we don't condone nicking chairs from old ladies. Uh, I just want to say, obviously, from a, a New York Times point of view, you know, this was pre-show in, in Edinburgh. New York Times described it as sweetly hilarious with flashes of bizarre originality, impressive, unexpected, loads of five stars reviews for the background of Bill's 44th. Were you sort of surprised and particularly the Edinburgh programme. Have you guys been here before? Did you hit Scotland before, or was this your first experience full stop of the Fringe? Yeah, this is our first time uh, for everything. First time for (laughs) Bill, first time for us at the Fringe. That's right. We did have the absolute honour and privilege of uh, getting to perform at the London Mime Festival Mm -hmm. at the Barbican in their pit theatre just a couple of months before Edinburgh, but uh, we had never done... The Fringe. Bill's really, that was the most performances he's ever mm-hmm. done. We did like 24 shows or something like that. And and it's always been like six shows here, three shows mm-hmm. here. So it was really exciting for us to like be thrown into this crazy atmosphere where there's stuff happening all over the place, bringing like a little ragtag puppet show. So <laughs> many people got to celebrate Bill for his party, yeah. you know, and that was, that was really sweet. Having those posters and the flyers which is a very traditional fringe thing to do you know you flyer if you're at the top of the game or you know you're at the bottom of the tree that's an essential part of it the flyers were birthday invites the response on social media was clever saying thank you for coming to my birthday or i'm having a party tonight was it sort of busy from the off i get the sort of impression you guys anyone else behind the scenes are quite fearless you were like almost like sod it let's just give it a go because what have we got to lose yeah i mean like with flyering and stuff i would go out out and mm-hmm. some of us, maybe the whole group, but sometimes just me would go out for like a few hours just with Bill. And I, we found that that was like really exciting mm-hmm. for people because I feel like flyering is all of the emotions of Fringe packed into like an hour or two hours. You have like the uplifting, like you actually talk to someone and they're excited to see the show or like 900 people walk past you and like didn't even look. (laughs) And so you're shaking flyers and it's like demoralizing. But also there was this interesting element and I encourage all shows to put a puppet in your show and, (laughs) and bring the puppet out with you flyering because not only does it disconnect you from feeling bad, about people denying taking your flyer, but it also uh, gives you distance so that when people are excited, I just had Bill hand people the invitation to the show. And it just like really divorced me from having to feel any way about it. I don't know that we felt like we had nothing to lose or that we were fearless about it, but it was sort of like, we did find that even when the show started to pick up steam and like we started selling out, which was crazy to us, I still felt that sort of obligation to be out there um, all the time. 
it wasn't until the last week where I was finally like, you know what? The train runs itself. Like, I don't need to throw any more coal into it. Um, <laughs> first, like, three weeks, I was out there every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, specifically for our show, like, the reason you go to see the show is for Bill. Mm-hmm. And I think choosing to keep putting Bill front and center, like not just in still photographs, but in videos, like you mentioned, the social media videos that we did and like kind of going along with this theme, like he is throwing a birthday party. When you're in the show, the time for the party has arrived. So he's like there Mm -hmm. and everything's mostly ready. But so like just (laughs) showing the audience like his moments before of like planning the party, inviting people, like all these things that are a part of this event. So I don't know. I think it just leaning on that. Before going to Edinburgh, we had like a few reviews from like UK based papers. Mm. And we found that like people like thought that the humor and stuff was quite British. You know, he's kind of like a Mr. Bean. He's kind of like people were like reaching for things to like compare him to. But like him being such a defined character in that way just allowed us to like kind of treat him like he was another member of the team, Mm -hmm. that he was the star. And so like we would just move the star around. And it was really sweet because like by two or three weeks in, people would like recognize him from the posters around and stuff like that because he is like not a human. He doesn't look human. He looks like himself. (laughs) And so people would be like, oh, hey, Bill, shouting to him on the street as he's walking by, which only like further solidified this playfulness in like the atmosphere of the city streets of Edinburgh, where we would just like bring Bill out and people would like either be horrified of him, Mm -hmm. you know, because people are just generally afraid of like puppets, clowns, what have you, or they would just be like oh my gosh it's bill oh my gosh like celebrity sighting (laughs) Mm -hmm, and we're like bill's only done a few performances he's not a celebrity yet Um, i think he is now absolutely and and i think the mr bean thing i mean it's actually i had mr bean and the snowman i don't know if you guys will be familiar with it was a silent animation and it's called the snowman if you were to google it it'll be on youtube it was based on a book by raymond briggs there was the snowman and there was father christmas as well it was a very very famous and it's always repeated every christmas eve and again the comparison for you guys is mr bean is silent and the snowman is silent the music like with you guys it was driven through the performance the timing of what you were doing when someone i assume would click play and you had 60 minutes of music and it would be very up no okay go on i'll, I'll pause there because that's amazing go on pause that because <laughs> yeah. we did have someone the music was composed by Eamon fogarty he's terrific a friend of ours mm-hmm. we call her our fourth puppeteer but uh taryn yui was like up in the booth and was running all of the sounds and running all the lights mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Just wow. like there were hundreds of cues. Like you said, like we're kind of like hit play and then we went. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of them were actually like a conversation queuing between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Like often he would do something and then she would react or she would like propose something and we would react. Like obviously all the cues were like in there, but mm-hmm. we really feel like there's so much of it that's back and forth between the four performers. I include her as a performer because it's like such a heavy role. I don't want to spoil it for all the people that will someday get to see it. When we do our inevitable (laughs) UK tour in 2024, I hope. I'm just going to plant the seed now. But, uh, (laughs) But there's this moment where like we get quite surreal and there's like build changes in scale. In that segment alone, it's like only 10 minutes long. There's like 100 cues in that segment. 
And so she's just firing along, you know, it's like, it's super choreographed, but we can't just like set it and forget it. Hats off to everyone because it was so seamless that it was almost like it was pre-done. And I almost thought you were acting to those cues, you know, and it was just like, oh, fuck, if we miss one here, then all of a sudden <laughs> there's going to be a loud clattering and it's like, oh, I don't know what happened there. You know, not that you can say, but you know what I mean? He leans back in his chair in the show once or twice. And in Atlanta, we did the show in Atlanta. He leaned back in his chair and it broke into like, 10 pieces shattered 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 so like you know the thing with all theater right is like you can never predict what's actually going to happen so if we left it to a track it would have been madness like we've been like running throwing the chair off stage just trying to keep up and we kind of did that anyway (laughs) but it's (laughs) who was in charge of buying that chair (laughs) it was well it was funny we usually we won't name names. No, we won't okay, name names. Okay, but it, okay. but it okay. wasn't a different chair than like ones we've used before. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. we just like hit it in the right way Oof. that it was like, mm, I'm done. It's very yeah. funny to see Bill attached to two people falling into a broken pile of wood. <laughs> That's, I do a lot of uh, pub quizzes and it's kind of just, a, I mean, it's a very traditional British thing. And I ended up doing a, a quick quiz during the Fringe this year as my first sort of dabble into that world. But I did one many years ago and midway through the quiz, a rather oversized bloke I think is fair to say his chair gave way uh, during the quiz which um, which was which is exactly my reaction you try and be professional and and then everyone else just loses it around you so yeah. <laughs> sometimes those unpredictable things give you the most comedic moments of the whole night <laughs> right right you're just like well we, no one saw this coming I don't remember people laughing when Bill broke his chair I think people thought that his chair was supposed to break yeah because that's the way the theater works in people's brains everyone's just like oh yeah that's supposed to happen yeah. <laughs> anything goes <laughs> well that kind of leads us nicely into what is going to be next for you two the other two performers you have working on the team and and sort of the ideas so you know is this going to tour i assume you're actively looking in those conversations because more people deserve to see this if you missed out at edinburgh so if you can give us any spoilers uh, what's next for bills 44th right now I mean, there's not much to spoil. Mm -hmm. We're just in conversations with a bunch of different potential touring partners and places to tour. Like there's been some conversations about maybe France, about maybe England again, Mm -hmm. or uh, throughout the UK, maybe some talks about, I've been just trying to get the show going more places. Nothing's solidified. There was a talk about going to two festivals in China, but it was too soon and it was a little too crazy. And so we were like, "Uh, we're going to wait. Um, there's you know the possibility of coming back um the show did so well in edinburgh that it'd be really fun to do it again it's just and i don't know if this has ever come up for you but it it, as as artists making like a very uh scrappy sort of show taking a bunch of people overseas and housing them for a month it gets to the point of being prohibitively expensive i know Mm -hmm. that like there have been a lot of um i don't know movements towards like helping artists like do it especially like uk based stuff where it's like hey we can like get you to edinburgh Mm -hmm. and like things like that but it's quite hard as an international group to like get there and all of our stuff because puppets love stuff so (laughs) so like even though the show was like a total bash and we Mm -hmm. did really well i mean like we sold out most of our performances, which yeah. was incredible. We had such a great time. It's like one of those things where we like look at the numbers and we're like, well, we'd love to do it. 
but we'd also love someone with a funny bag of money to just like <laughs> make it happen. Yeah. Um, you can reach us okay. at go44th.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure that stays in. <laughs> There'll be a. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? And the, the human side to the fringe as well is the fact that there are fringe grants available, and Phoebe Waller Bridge from, yes. from her fame, who is very passionate about the fringe and goes back a couple of years with her roots, and she put a fund of maybe about a hundred, a hundred and twenty thousand yeah, pounds, yeah, um, yeah. which was distributed to the hell of a lot of you know artists and, and stuff. Even that kind of two K is not if you are flying that's gone straight yeah. away yeah, you, know, you can't really negotiate with the airlines to be like hey i'm putting yeah. on like a fun sort of a puppet show in scotland do you think like you cut me a break they're like tickets cost what they cost yeah like, that's oh, it yeah funny that i really wanted to say just want to put it in before we finish the emotive side of it i you know not ashamed to say i cried during the performance of bulls 44th and you might say oh whatever you know and just saying that but i i also know my wife's best friend she was upset during it. We, upset. you know, it, it's very funny. Upset is well, like a much funnier way to put it. Uh, <laughs> came and saw your show. Was very upset. She hasn't recovered since, guys. She, yeah, that's it. She's uh, she'll also be getting in touch at bills44.com. <laughs> yeah, please leave For, all of your comments, questions, yeah. and concerns. I don't want to give too much away, and but there are moments where it is very much like war, and your mind sees what it wants to see in theatre, as right. you've mentioned, Andy. But I think from that point of view, just to sort of go, wow, like there is so many highs and lows, and to create that within, in essence, 52 minutes, give or take, you haven't got a long time to play with. When you were thinking of the script and the ideas, was that story art to make it highs and lows and go from, say, being a little bit boozy, in essence, to sitting alone thinking back? Was it quite hard to sort of get that whole story together? Well, the way that we create together is very organic. We have a devised process. So we have our puppets and our objects and our team, uh, which in this case was Andy, myself, John, and then Taryn, our stage manager, and then other designers who would come in sometimes. But we just kind of play. And I think mm -hmm. for this particular show, the concept was very simple. Of like, we've prepared a party. Now we wait for the guests. And what do you do when you're alone? And I think like we were able to kind of explore what do you do when you're alone well what are the emotions there you're bored there oh no one's coming everyone hates me of course because that's the only reason why no one would be coming but then like you can't like stay there figuring out like how to build him up so I think the mm. highs and lows came with like yeah the sensitivity of like that <laughs> specific anxiety which is funny and also tragic at the same time I think like yeah also like naturally like this all started as kind of a joke and so a lot of gags were sort of involved. Like it was a lot of bits. That's just comedy, you know, tragedy plus time. He's sort of like trying to make things work and he's failing and he like still rises above it, whether it's through optimism or anger or whatever it is. He's like, no, I won't be defeated by this. And the humor, like those highs of like, we can laugh at him or with him come from him like perilously trying to keep the chainsaws afloat that he's juggling. Once we had sort of established that like, he's a character who can have like these gags and bits, there were moments that we were interested in exploring that were sort of more um, intentionally, emotionally mm -hmm. driven, right? So like he gets to watch a lot of his past birthdays in like this sort of, we call it an etude. It's a montage <laughs> of moments throughout his life. And it's sort of, 
in those moments that like we have intent there, there's still comedy in it, but the intent is to like maybe get a little more reflective and a little bit more quiet. Some moments we approach instead of being like comic forward or emotionally forward, we approach with like a question. We have this like moment that's like maybe scary, maybe funny that happens right after that, which is like with uh, this other version of Bill that like runs rampant and like attacks him. And that moment was just kind of formed as like a, well, what if we added some horror into the show? What would that be like? The show in the way that we sort of like beaded it out, we like play in beats because there's no language. Mm -hmm. um, so it's much hard. Our script is really confusing to read because it's, it's just bullet list. points. <laughs> We got someone, uh, a reviewer from New York, when we like did our first time doing the show, they wrote us and they asked for a script for the review and we sent it to them and they said, <laughs> all they said was one thing. They said, this is not a script. But it ended in a question mark. Yeah. This is not a script. <laughs> <laughs> like, what have you attached to this document? <laughs> yeah. So but based on what Dorothy said, like our devised process with all the people involved, like we find sort of through lines through moments. Oh, he's going to like get a phone call and that phone call is going to lead to like this thing falling and this thing. And so like editing in that space is kind of interesting because we are like playing with an arc. Like there is like, you know, rising action, climax, like mm -hmm. weird trippy denouement, like whatever, like those things exist, but we never really thought in that way. It was just sort of like, how do we get from point A to point B? And it's like, how do we thread, you know, him getting very drunk with like him starting to decide to dance with like a giant carrot. Like, how do we get there? Mm. Well, he hasn't played with the chips yet. So it's like, oh, we'll do that. We should do a chip bit. Maybe he's hungry. And so it became more about like processing his own thoughts from moment to moment, which is really interesting because you don't get to s like see inside his brain. But as an audience member, you are deciding what he's thinking and you're like projecting yeah. what you're thinking onto him. There's so many like little thoughts that he has and so many like little jokes that play out that we're always really surprised and like very excited by the fact that an audience can follow it. Mm -hmm. Because for us, right, we're just running around the stage with like this giant puppet, like looking mm -hmm. at things. Yeah, right? we're just doing actions. <laughs> yeah, we're like, just moving stuff around and people yeah. are like, oh my gosh, it was so sad. Or like it was mm -hmm. so moving or it was so this. And it was like, you could take our show out of context and put mm -hmm. it somewhere else. Like, yes, we had intention, mm -hmm. but like, it's just like, watching a, you know, a bunch of guys move like some furniture around for an hour, right? But like you walked out of it and you were like, I need to call my best friend. I haven't talked to him in like 20 years and I hope he's okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's and, but it is. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, you might never ever think it would be like that, but if it was sad, it, it's comedic, it's yeah. thought provoking. It is all of that because it, it's so well done that you give the audience the chance to have that opinion or form it for whatever you want and be upset if you want to be upset or or be funny when maybe it's not funny. You know, it's credit to that story arc and to what you've developed over the five years. Was it always going to be non-verbal? Was that always going to be that was non-negotiable? We assumed that it would be nonverbal because yeah. I think that's just where a lot of our instincts are. But we did in one of our earlier workshops experiment uh, with text and ooh. He delivered a monologue or a soliloquy from Macbeth, which I <laughs> totally butchered because I'm like the only person ever who has no memory for those kinds of things. you picked like one that ev like I picked, everyone knows I picked every the word. very <laughs> iconic one. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And right? I butchered it completely. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but we tried it and it did not work at all. And we were like, you know yeah. what? That's sort of 
a thing about um, devised work is that you really try all different angles and then you have to be very comfortable with throwing it out. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a version of killing your darlings, but you also put your darlings on stage for people to see mm-hmm. and then you kill them. You like make <laughs> stuff to make it happen. Like again, cause right. everything is so like action and object based. So much of our time is like, we'll just like mock up a cardboard thing, like to mm. stand in for whatever this object is and then try it out. But you need like a physical thing sometimes to try stuff out whether yeah (laughs) and also we've had a bit of experience and luck getting to tour some shows around like the world and while all of those shows have actually been pretty text heavy except one i don't know there was always a consideration for the possibility of touring it and so there was something that we wanted to explore which was like yes we're interested in making a nonverbal show partially because it would be easier to translate to different audiences Mm -hmm. But also, you know, because it's a bit of a challenge and it makes sense contextually, right? He's alone. There are some people like myself that walk around the house and talk out loud to myself. But that's me as well. (laughs) But not everybody does that. Him living in his head makes a lot of sense for for the piece. If it made sense for him to speak, he probably would have. But he just didn't have to, Mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. It kind of like gives you some guidelines. And it also challenged us to like think about how to use elements that people would try to use, right? He like has the phone ring. You're like, oh my God, maybe he's going to talk, right? Like there's, you get to play at the edges, Mm -hmm. which I think is an excitement in and of itself, right? You're like, why doesn't he speak? And you're like, oh my gosh, they addressed it. He was about to, and then the phone, you know, exploded yeah. or whatever it does. I'm obviously conscious here, guys, not to give too much away. And again, <laughs> there's various elements that like answerphone messages and those kind of sort of things where you hear from the other side and, you know, you hear sort of what's maybe made Bill the way Bill is as he's grown up to reach his 44th. But I remember watching a show, a telephone, basically, what was raising money over Christmas. There was a clip of an old lady who was alone on Christmas Day, and it gets even sadder. She was listening to her answer phone messages because she was that lonely. So she was playing her answer phone messages. And at that point, I was like, where is my phone? How much to donate? Mm -hmm. Let's give 20 quid straight away. And it's those things where, you know, again, I'm probably maybe one of, you know, a handful of people who maybe watched that and would remember that. But it's something where... If you can give that little bit of kindness, that's why people come out smiling because you go home going, actually, yeah, there's there's someone who will listen to your problem or there's people right. who will help out. And that was how brilliant it was. Guys, just before we finish, and I just wanted to sort of say from your personal point of view, who are your sort of puppetry heroes from anyone who will be operating a puppet or intrigued to, to see if it's, um, you know, Marley and Marley from... Um, <laughs> I, mean, you know, I mean, we can yeah. say unequivocally, I don't know if that's the right word, Unequivocally, that that is the best version of A Christmas Carol that's ever yeah. existed. Agreed. I mean, yeah. I don't think anyone would argue. And if they're arguing, they probably have a different game. Like, I don't know <laughs> what they're playing. Um, but Puppet Heroes, I'm pretty mm. proud of all of the people that are doing puppetry now yeah. and in the past. Because it's like a very old art form. You know, I could say like aesthetically, like people I'm interested in or excited about, puppetry just like keeps going. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it like hides in the shadows and you're like only really aware of like one or two puppets. You're like, you don't really think about like in all the TV shows, like how much puppeteering is going on, but it actually is like in every show somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's like whether or not it's like an actual hired puppeteer or some like visual effects person when it should be a puppeteer. I don't want to get in there. But uh, (laughs) the AI of puppetry. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, it's everywhere. It's so omnipresent. I mean, and it's really exciting to us as people in New York getting to see like more and more people like show up and be like, well, I want to be a puppeteer. Like, I want to learn how mm-hmm. to do this. For a long time in the U.S., and there was one form, really, that was like visible to a bigger audience, right? Sesame Street, Muppets, stuff. We love that. Like, that's amazing. And it really laid like some really important groundwork Mm -hmm. for people to like kind of emerge a little bit outside of their communities to like get to a bigger stage. Mervyn Miller and and Basil Twist are doing like My Neighbor Totoro Mm -hmm. has like coming back to the Barbican or it already did come back to the Barbican. There's amazing puppetry stuff going on all over the world. And it's so exciting. And it's all in different forms, too, right? You've got, like, cool immersive experiences. Robin Frohart's Plastic Bag Store is amazing. I got to work on that a bit. Mm -hmm. She's, like, an incredible friend. And it goes from, like, really intimate to, like, really large and gigantic. I'm inspired by all these people, but I'm not, like... I'm inspired in the same way that I'm inspired by any good piece of art. I, like, look at something and I go oh man, like, that's really cool. Like, how can I, how can I like use a version of that in like the next thing that I'm trying to make? Like, how do I think about using, uh, our friend right now is doing uh, something with like 3D glasses. He's working on a show that's like in a box in your phone and they send you 3D glasses uh, for Halloween. And like, so it's like, intentionally like a guy's coming out of a box. It's people that are playing with form and playing with, in these different avenues that I'm most excited about. They're all my heroes, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good way to, I was going to say, Dorothy, would you agree? But I imagine, I think Andy's covered everything off there. I know, I know. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, I'm constantly, I feel like with puppetry, it's so analog. Like I think, and it can be super high tech, but it's like, it's all practical, right? You having these objects that are being manipulated by people to, to create some visual story. So I think I am just constantly inspired by that, like tangible, like tactileness. And, and the more that I can see it in, especially in live theater, it's just so exciting. Being on like the forefront of everyone's brains, I think not only activates like a special kind of creativity within the work that you're making, but also just is indicative of puppetry as like a very important aspect augmenter of all these mediums that it is applicable for. And then, you know, you have us. I almost said dingleberries, but you have us ding-dong. <laughs> and then I did say dingleberries. You have us ding-dong. Who are, we'll keep both in. Yeah. You can choose. Right. <laughs> We're just trying to create like a visual language here. Um, <laughs> you, have, you have us ding-dongs who are sort of um, making shows that are only puppets, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to know, and it is. It's a case of keeping that. <laughs> it's a case of keeping that magic art form alive and to see that on the stage to know the background to it now has been amazing you can check out bills44th.com it's at bills44th on insta it's well good looking at the instagram just to get a rough idea of what was happening in edinburgh and before you can see bill even eating an ice cream which uh, to actually have a day in edinburgh that you can have an ice cream was a miracle in itself (laughs) that's why he was good to wear a jumper because you kind of always need one of them if it's june or december layer up check out the bills44th.com website or on insta for any future touring well worth seeing and and i just wish you guys genuinely all the best it's been a real pleasure to chat and i hope if you do come back in 2024 we'll uh, we'll take bill for another ice cream together if you fancy it oh yeah (laughs) we'll get we'll get like a proper gelato yeah (laughs) 
There's really good gelato in Edinburgh. I was like, oh my gosh. Thank you so much, guys. I wish you continued success to you two and everyone else who's a part of Bill's 44th. We'll speak to you again soon. And to you. Thanks for having us. Merry Christmas. Holidays refreshed.